Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with stars, creators, and industry leaders on Broadway and beyond. I'm Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Nathan Lane. He's an actor familiar not just to Broadway audiences, but moviegoers and TV watchers as well. He was the voice of Timon the Meerkat in the original animated version of Disney's The Lion King and in a number of subsequent sequels and spin-off series. He starred opposite Robin Williams in Mike Nichols' The Birdcage, and recently on TV he's had recurring roles in HBO's The Gilded Age and in the hit Hulu series Only Murders in the Building. On stage, of course, he's a three-time Tony Award winner, taking home the trophy for A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Angels in America, and The Producers. Now he's back on Broadway in the new play Pictures from Home, playwright Shar White's adaptation of photographer Larry Sultan's 1992 photo memoir. Lane plays Larry Sultan's father, Irving, opposite Zoe Wanamaker as Mother Jean and Danny Burstein as Larry. Now, Lane is in the virtual studio with me to tell us about finding his character, finding the right wig, his upcoming screen work in The Gilded Age and the buzzy new movie Bo is Afraid, and how he changed people's perception of him and climbed out of his pigeonhole. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thank you, Gordon. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You're back on Broadway in a new play. What was it about this particular project that made you uh, want to commit to it? I read it. <laughs> and I thought it was very moving. Uh, yeah. I thought it was funny and touched on very universal themes, and uh, I uh, wanted to work with Bartlett Cher, who, uh, it, when I initially was sent the play, it was it was to do a reading of it, hmm. and uh, and I, I I loved the part, and I thought it was you know it was be fun to do a three hander and, and work with some great actors and it just um and then we did these readings we did a couple of readings over a period of almost two years and then oh and uh it seemed to have a a very positive effect on the people who heard it and uh and then eventually it it came to fruition yeah 
we don't see many plays based on photo memoirs. What really felt theatrical to you about this version of the story and and the story it tells? Well, it's uh, it's unusual in its structure and and what Shar is is doing, which is it's it's a, a memory play that takes place. Uh, in the vicinity of the last two years of this decade-long project of uh, the photographer Larry Sultan, who photographed and interviewed his parents, using them as the subjects for this, what eventually became the book, Pictures from Home, that came out in 1992, and which was uh, acclaimed and, and became his masterwork. And... Um, it's sort of some behind the scenes, scenes from the, that period of time. As he says, he had, we all directly address the audience. That's another thing that happens, that the audience is another actor in the play. Each one of us talks to them, uh, and there are asides and then direct address, and we are all fighting to tell our version of the family narrative. And so when the play is taking place is nerves are frayed. It's now eight years into this project and they want his parents want it to be over and they don't quite understand it or understand that he's actually a rather successful photographer. They just think of him as teaching photography at a university. They don't seem to acknowledge that he's had a couple of books and, exhibitions and so um uh, uh they also want the parents also want to move to palm desert from the san fernando valley and they're sort of afraid of upsetting larry that it's and his project but they just want to they sort of want to officially retire even though the father really is already has been retired for quite a while but his, the mother is a wildly successful real estate agent and that's how the that they have survived as a couple is her success in that field. So, um, so it's this combination of uh, family dramedy, uh, documentary, and three-way TED talk with the <laughs> audience. Yeah. And so that was theatrical and unusual. It, it's not your typical way of telling this sort of family story. And um, I don't know, I just, you know, I was, <laughs> as you get older, you know, obviously you think a lot about mortality and, you know, that's a, a big part of what Larry Sultan was exploring and what Char White is exploring uh, in his adaptation. Um, you know, it's watching his parents get older. Uh, so it's dealing with parents and mortality and, also what it is to be an artist, you know, the ownership of this particular, of these photos and the, the family narrative itself and exploring or deconstructing these sort of old family photos, home movies, stills, and, and uh, corporate images from uh, his father's career as a vice president of sales at Chick and seeing what's behind all that, what's really going on. And, and, um, and also the, because it was the Reagan years, the politicizing of family values. So there's, there are many things going on. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Ultimately, I think Larry Sultan was trying to figure out his father mm. and and the effect that it had had on him as 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 an as an, a child and as an adult and now as a father himself. So he was always trying to figure out his father and uh, uh it's I think that was the bottom line and although there were all these very also highfalutin themes he was exploring as well. Um, so that's, I don't know, I forget what your question was, but no, that was it. That was it. Uh, and actually the, um, that leads to my next question about, we see in the show, we see projections of some of the photos. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, and, I totally forgot. <laughs> yeah. But I wondered how you as an actor used those photos and, you know, and the memoir overall to kind of form as you say, if this play is about a man trying to figure out his own father, what insights did you glean for in order to play the father from that book? Um, when we did the readings, um, obviously we weren't making any attempt to look like uh, the photos at all or, or to look like Irv and Gene Sultan. You don't really see a picture of Larry until the very end of the play. Um, so... Initially, the idea was because the photos were going to be used throughout the entire play, and that also is an unusual thing in this particular piece. Um, so you're faced with that. And when we did the readings, no one seemed to question anything. No one, no one had seemed, everyone seemed to understand that uh, we were taking on the roles of father, mother, and son. And we were referring to these the people in the pictures as as if they were us and they accepted that theatrical conceit and when we were going into production there was discussion about maybe we're not going to do anything we're just three actors who come on and we take on these personas then um there was uh wanting to uh i'm about 10 years older than danny yeah. So there was not some, quite old enough to be his dad. Yeah. So there was discussion of well, would it help to age me and and de-age him a little? You know, Larry was really about forty when this happened. So there was so this this was a very long ongoing discussion about what to do about this. And uh, and uh, uh, Zoe Wanamaker's wig, you know, that was always going to happen. But there was debate about what whether we should do it or not. I was very much, I, I was very old school. Let's not do anything. Let's. I don't want it to look like a failed attempt to look like them. And and I didn't want. We also wear mics in the show. Now I've worked in this theater before. I've done, you know, and I've done twenty five plays on. Yeah, this is your twenty fifth. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, I had no problem, you know, reaching the back of the house with my voice. But, there, you know, there was talk about, oh, the, in this particular theater, you know, there was, it, it, you know, uh, anyway, the sound people, everyone said we needed to wear mics. So we tr we did try it without mics. And, and then finally, and I hate mics. I understand the use of them in, obviously, in musicals. You have to wear a mic. You're dealing with an orchestra. But um, in order to hide the mics, 
you know, so that it's not sticking out here like some alien creature. You, you know, you can hide them under the wig. So I sort of said, well, if we're going to wear mics, then I'm going to wear wig and disguise it so they don't really see it. Because I, I hate that takes me out of the play when I see that. So this this was all the way through, you know, even previews and finding Danny started with one uh, wig and then moved to another. My wig started, you know, I, I did a whole bit about this on Colbert, but it started, it was really full. It, I looked like Superman's father, Jarrell. And then it, it was, and then it was sort of, they it toned it down a bit. And then I sort of looked like John DeLorean. <laughs> Finally, it, 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 you, what you don't want is for it to look like a wig. Right. Now, at my age, Irv Sultan is 70. I'm 67. So it's not that far away, you know. Um, so there is a lot of discussion about how to, are we, you know, are we looking like them or are we not? You know, anybody should be able to play these parts. Any nationality, race, whatever, you know, you should just come on and I'm the father, I'm the mother, I'm the son. And we're going to tell this story to you and we're going to refer to those people in the pictures as if they were us. That, to me, was the theatrical conceit. But was th so we eventually wound up wearing wigs, <laughs> suggesting their look. Yeah. So clothes yeah. And, the, and the wigs and the, you know, the age. Yeah. Was there an image in particular that uh, really gave you insight into the character you're playing and the kind of oh, person right. he is? That's what you're asking. I totally got <laughs> that. But the question. wig is also a good story. Yeah. The wig, um, you know, physically, I'm never, you know, I'm never going to look like Irv Sultan. Right. You know, you would have had to have gotten, I don't know. He looked like a version of Johnny Carson. You know, and and uh, you know they should have gotten Sam Waters to to play Irv. Um, anyway, you have to let go of all that. Also, it's 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 not a docudrama. We're not. I'm playing Char White's version of Irv, Irv Sultan. Right. Um, you certainly get a lot of information from the book, and I also listen to the tapes that Larry Sultan made with his parents, interviewing oh. them, which are fascinating and also uh, incredibly boring. And you would not want to spend two hours <laughs> with that couple, um, <laughs> like being trapped on an airplane with someone wanting to tell you the story of his life. It's interesting because he doesn't, he has had a kind of higher pitched voice and it almost sounded kind of New Englandy. Did not sound like he came from Brooklyn. It, I, it felt like someone who had tried to lose his Brooklyn accent over the years because he was in sales, and and, uh, um, and she also had no discernible accent. Um, she was originally from New Jersey, I believe. Anyway, um, it's it's uh, it's interesting to see. You know, you don't you don't feel the friction that you get in the play between the father and son, although everyone in the family talked about his anger issues that he used to get into physical confrontations with his older son, yeah. Mickey, and uh, uh, that he carried this sort of anger around with him. Um, 
which, you know, you have to sort of figure that out in terms of the play. Uh, I, I certainly from the book, I, I asked for some things to be included. There was a, a section when he talked about working in a clothing store, an English clothing store, and they made him change his name to John Sutton. Uh, you know, the anti-Semitism, uh, I, I thought that was important. You know, there were a couple little phrases that he used, uh, you know, um, yeah. out of the main, you know, he's talking about having when he quit chick when he quit chick and he says being out of the uh, out of it out of the mainstream and nobody wants you um little things like that but char has also given him sort of a dry sardonic sense of humor um a lot of the conflict is larry being an artist not quite sure of what he is creating and because he, uh, Irv and Gene are the subjects, you know, they have to sort of do what he asks, even though they're, they're, um, they love him. They're very reluctant at times. And, and in particular, Irv is antagonistic towards this posing of pictures. He feels it's all very phony. And he makes, and he's, Irv Sultan was a very, the, the real man was a very astute uh, observer of what Larry was doing and and his arguments with Larry about this process, uh, which are very much you know a, a part of the play, um, are very uh, you you tend to side with him very often, uh, uh, at least from my point of view, and um, I think you know we were very it was very much about trying to modulate. Uh, so that it's not one the same argument over and over, and also where he gets angry and where you know and where he doesn't, and and because there's one sort of uh, there's a big scene, a barbecue that eventually leads to a real explosion, because Larry pushes him and pushes him and pushes him, and finally, you know he he turns on him in an ugly way. Um, so. You know, it's all a lot of it is in the book, and and then it's also you're playing um, the character that Char White has created, and you're trying to honor both things. If that answers your question, <laughs> I'll have more with Nathan right after the break. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now here's more with Nathan Lane. Over the years, Nathan, have you developed a particular process as an actor? Like, is there a method or the method that you subscribe to or that or at least a series of steps that you find works for you as you find your way to a character? Yes, but I don't want okay. to talk about it. <laughs> um, it's only of interest to me <laughs> or perhaps other actors. 
you know, and it also very much depends on the, 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 what it what it is you're doing on the character and the and the piece. Um, you know, for example, with somebody like Roy Cohn, uh, not dissimilar to what I'm talking about here with Irv Sultan, there was the real yeah, Roy is, Cohn. We, we should say this is Roy the, Cohn, the character you played in Angels in America. Yeah. In Angels in America, in Tony Kushner's mm-hmm. masterpiece, Angels in America. And so there's the real guy, and then there's the character that to, uh, Tony Kushner created. And you sort of try to, you find where the, the what the, are the, uh, the similarities. You know, there were some interesting, there's only one, there was only one uh, biography of him called Citizen Cone. He wrote an autobiography, but that was just all bullshit this was uh uh and and what was interesting about that aside from reading about his childhood and family was the the first chapter was about the last two years of his life which is that's when angels in america is taking place and and it was very detailed in sort of hospital reports his behavior in the hospital what was going on with him physically and his disintegration because of aids and i uh, one of the things I wanted to do was to really show that disintegration. I felt I hadn't seen it done quite that specifically when I was reading the this the, this chapter and uh, where they talked about um, him having a tremor, a tremor that would be in one hand and then the other, and uh, and how when he was talking to people, if the tremor started, he would hold his hand still trying to control it. And uh, there was also, he had thrush, so it was affecting his voice, which was a very powerful instrument for him. Uh, And so I wanted to use that so that at a certain point, his voice changed in in Perestroika when he has a scene with Joe Pitt, a very, you know, father-son sort of scene, which is when he pulls the IV out of his arm. When he basically tells him he's gay, and uh, uh, and I thought that was interesting to suddenly this very strong voice is now very weak. Um, and then, of course, it, written into the play are these sort of full body tremors, which, and that's awful. So I wanted to sort of uh, uh, um, figure out the progression of that in Perestroika, because as horrible as a human being as he was and as the character is, He's still a human being. And uh, so underneath all that is this very frail person who's dying. And I thought, uh, I think that's important to see. Uh, He's fighting for his life. Um, So, you know, there's that. There's reading. There's research that way. How did we survive without Google? (laughs) I don't know. Beforehand, I guess we went to libraries. (laughs) I imagine the also just the interplay with individual actors must shape your own performance, right? In terms of what they are bringing and what, and the the moment to moment of it. Totally, that that's a, a huge yeah. part of it. That, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I I don't know. It would be you'd have we'd have to talk about very yeah. specific parts, but that yeah. I mean, there's research. There's there's all yeah. of that stuff that you you prepare. You know, like I say, Iceman cometh. You know, I had 10 months and I I learned it. You know, I read everything that was ever written about the play. 
about the role of uh, Theodore Hickman and and Eugene O'Neill and and all of the, the stuff about him and why you know how he wrote the play and all, all of that. You take all of that in. You know, I I had I had obviously I had seen the Sidney Lumet television version with Jason Robards recreating his this role that changed mm-hmm. his career and and the Quintero production off Broadway that you know turned the play into a, there was a landmark production that made people realize it was a great a great play. Um, you know, read all about read all about the original production and why it didn't work. <laughs> You know, I you, you do all of that. You take all of that in, and then you show up and you start to talk to people. You know, and then you know a director, whatever his concept is, he's going to guide you. But you're, it is all about that interaction with the other actors, and that changes everything. You know, I, I you know, and my favorite piece of advice was from the late great Brian Dennehy, who, after we, you know, it was a because it was the, the, the first time we did it was at the Goodman Theater, a regional theater. And you actually, you only have nine previews and then you open. And when, because I, Brian and I were doing this, you know, everybody was there, yeah. critics. You know, the New York Times was there after nine. We were on the ninth performance, you know, the, with the Iceman cometh, <laughs> we're doing a five hour play. That's nothing. You're just getting your mm. bearings. And it, it takes a while to figure out that play. You could do it for a very long time and still not figure it out. But, um, you know, we opened and fortunately it was a, a big success and sold out. And and then I said to Brian, who had played the role very successfully in 1990 in the same theater, I said, give me some notes. Tell me, you know, just. And uh, he said, he said, I think you're doing great. He said, uh, you obviously, you had to prepare the way you did and map it out the way you did because it's such an enormous role and, and there's there's so many layers to this play. And he said, uh, but now I would throw it all away and just see what happens. Let the play happen to you. Don't feel you have to reach certain heights at certain points or, you know, just let it all go. Yeah. So, which was the best advice I could have gotten. And then for the rest of the run, it was it was wonderfully <laughs> rehearsing in a way in front of an audience, and just and and I felt like along the way I had a couple of breakthroughs, and it was it was thrilling yeah. to do. As you're as you're talking about things like Iceman and uh, Angels in America, there is uh, as people look at your career, it feels like you were best known for, you know, the kind of comedic stuff, the broad comedies that you did earlier in your career. And then there was kind of a turn at some point when it felt like you were more interested in exploring, uh, you know, dramatic roles. Was that a conscious shift? Was that uh, a um, a factor of, you know, timing and opportunity? Like what was, what? what's the thing, does, what, how do you think of that arc in terms of, you know, starting out as, being predominantly known as a, as a comedic actor and then moving into the kind of more serious work that you do in addition now to comedy? Um, you know, you, everyone gets pigeonholed. They will always want to put you in a box. So I had done some musicals that were successful. So they, that's how they tended to think of me. And yes, comedic roles, but along the way I had, I had done the plays of, Terrence McNally, 
which is, you know, a lot more than comedy or Simon Gray, John Robin Bates. Uh, you know, I had done Waiting for mm. Gatto. Um, you know, I had certainly done things that were both, that had both humor and drama along the way. And then, you know, I had done this musical, The sure. Adams Family, and it was reviled by the critics. As Jackie Hoffman used to say, even gay men don't like this musical. <laughs> And uh, nevertheless, the public still wanted to see it. And so it was running and, you know, I did it for a year. And sort of in the middle of it, uh, Charles Isherwood, who was still at the Times then, wrote a very, very complimentary piece about a, a sort of a career assessment piece and, in which he said I was... Uh, the you know the last of the great entertainers the greatest stage entertainer of the decade and you know i can find the dark cloud in any silver lining and the word entertainer irked me and i i felt like is that all i am at that point i had been a professional actor for 35 years and i thought but i'm an actor i'm not just an entertainer who am i you know, it, it just sounded like I was Al Jolson, like I was opening for Wayne Newton in Vegas. It, it uh, really got to me. And I, uh, I had so, I had been doing The Addams Family, I had some time on my hands uh, to think about, you know, could I shift people's perception of me? And I really need to do that, I need to make a change and and uh, for myself to challenge myself and the audience. And it'll be interesting to see if they go along with me. And uh, around the same time, I read, it was an interview in Variety uh, uh, about, I don't know whether it was about regional theaters or the theater in general, but they interviewed Bob Falls and Brian Dennehy in which they discussed their long history together of plays in Chicago, and a, a few of which made their way to New York very successfully. And, you know, I read this, and uh, um, they discussed perhaps revisiting the Iceman Cometh. And, and I thought, yeah, how can I get in on this? And so I wrote Bob Falls, and I said, listen, if you really do Iceman Cometh, I'd like you to consider me for Hickey and here is why. And and then Bob eventually wrote me back and said, well, um, you know, there's no production plan. We were just talking off the top of our heads, but uh, if you would like to do it, I'd love to get together and talk about it. And, you know, of course, Scott Rudin had the rights. He wanted to do it with Denzel Washington. And so he wouldn't let this production happened. You know, it's his, was, it was his favorite pastime. So I, uh, so, uh, but I've known Scott a very long time. We're friends. And I called him and I said, I want to do the Iceman Cometh in Chicago at the Goodman Theater with Bob Falls and Brian Denny. He was like, no, don't do it there. He said, I'll, I'll do it in London or do it. I said, no, I need to do it in Chicago with Bob Falls and Brian Dennehy. It's not a, Broadway tryout. It's I just want to do the play for me, for myself personally, and because it's a, 
a, a great play. And these are the people I need to do it with. And I need to do it in Chicago, not in New York. And that's all I want to do. I just want to do the play. And he said, okay. So we did it. Uh, and it was life-changing. You know, I had had this conversation once with Ken Brana, where we talked about this what this dilemma of this whatever whatever this perception is of me as an entertainer and he you know we had a long talk about it and he said well you know you can't just talk about it nathan you have to do it and and he said it doesn't matter what people will say you have to take on these great roles and it will be life-changing and it doesn't matter what everyone will have opinions they always have opinions but what it will do for you is 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 uh un uh, you know will be uh, unbelievable and and it will it will change yeah. your life and so he was rather prophetic about uh this yeah. experience and i i would always highly recommend o'neill yeah. in terms of, uh if you because he he dug very deep o'neill and uh you know he asks of you I think, you know, maybe more than any other playwright, he's asking you to be as brave as he is in the writing. And, and unless you commit to that, unless you jump off the ledge with him, holding hands, uh, uh, it does, then, then the material does seem as old fashioned and, and uh, melodramatic or corny as some people have accused it of being. But if you go there with him, it's it's incredible material and the an ice man is you know arguably you know i i i know everybody's favorite is long day's journey but ice man i think is is the one for me and uh, yeah. it's uh, it was it was so so that was the beginning of this uh of what of this sort of shift yeah. and then i you know I, I got a few things in television What's harder, comedy or drama? It's yeah. all hard. <laughs> yeah. It's all hard. It's all difficult if you've got to yeah. do it well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just hard work. And, and uh, you know, it's, it, it's nice when people laugh. You know, you get that kind of feedback. But, you know, you get that when, in, in drama when you can hear a pin drop. You know, the kind of the only the kind of silence that you can only hear in the theater yeah. when people are really listening and and or or feeling yeah. something you know that kind of silence yeah. um you know but it's all it's it's about just telling good stories if you can find them and and uh, and sharing that with an audience you mentioned uh your tv work and you have been in a couple of series lately you're in only murders in the building and in gilded age can you they both have new seasons coming up eventually uh can you tell us anything about uh what's going on with those shows um well only murders now you know they've got they don't yeah. need me anymore they got Meryl <laughs> yeah. Steep, they've got paul rudd jesse williams uh a lot of wonderful people, a whole new Andrea yeah. Martin, a whole new uh, murder mystery. Uh, I mean, uh, John Hoffman, uh, who runs the show, is you know had, had said if you know on a Monday maybe we'll bring mm -hmm. you in to do it, something. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think I'll be in the third season. But it um, it's been a 
that was a, just been a great experience. And, you know, winning the Emmy yeah, was uh, icing on the cake. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. So, and, and Gilded Age is just, you know, that's just yeah. fun. Just fun to be with, you know, it's like the greatest repertory mm-hmm. company put together and all these people you either who are old friends or people you've just admired from afar and we um you know julian fellows writes some juicy stuff and um and it's a fun character to play and you also showed up in a trailer for the new ari aster film with a ton of other theater folks it's uh, called Bo is afraid and it looks ari aster is of course best known for directing some pretty intense horror movies um this looks yes. almost like it's a musical. Is it scary? What What can you tell us about this wacky, uh, long, from what I understand, yeah. film? Yeah. Definitely okay. not a musical. <laughs> it's, uh, I've been calling it the Jewish everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's about, it's about mm. guilt. <laughs> um, it's about uh, this, this uh, uh, seriously codependent, passive-aggressive mother-son mm. relationship. It's about uh, Joaquin mm. uh, uh, plays Bo, and he. It's about his odyssey mm. to get home to see his right. mother, and many terrible things happen to him. He Job-like, mm. many terrible things occur. It takes a while for him mm. to get home, and then when he gets home, there's some. Sure. surprises yeah. uh and yeah ari aster is he's a he and joaquin are they're mm-hmm. genuine artists and uh this is um an ambitious film it's a b- very yeah. big swing uh i think it's the biggest budget mm-hmm. he's he's had at a24 and um it's uh it's it is mm-hmm. unique and it you know it's also very darkly mm-hmm. funny yeah yeah uh, um but it's it's a uh, nightmarish as he he's called it a nightmarish okay. comedy yeah. yeah and then how do you think about with all your screen work how do you think about theater working into the overall arc of what you do what keeps bringing you back to theater why is it always a part of uh what you do um well I don't know. This may be the last one. <laughs> this may be this may be my twenty five and song. done. Is that the, that's the yeah? That's right. It's like uh, uh, you know, winters in New York. I don't know how many more <laughs> I can take. Eight shows a week is you know a mm. big ask. Um, look, you do it because to me, it's still it, the purest form of acting. It's still my favorite way of telling a story. Uh, because we're the actors are in control. <laughs> Eventually, everybody goes home. Everyone goes away, uh, and the actors are left with an audience eight times a week to tell them that particular story. And and you know when it works, it's a glorious thing, and it's my favorite way yeah. to do this. Um, you know, I uh, it you know, and you're always looking for that next challenge and and. Uh, and I tend to get more of those challenges in the theater than anywhere else. I'd, I'd like it to be in a film or a television show. And there's some, you know, we have some, there's some things in the works. Um, 
uh, it's very early, but there, Stephen Daldry is uh, wants to direct a film of the Lisbon Traviata, um, and uh, it's it's being written now, and and uh, so we have high hopes for that, and um, you know, there's been things I'm developing in television, and so. But um, yeah, the theater I I do tend to uh, to come back to. It's my it's sort of where I feel the yeah. most at home. Well, audiences can catch you in pictures from home uh, right now, um, and uh, we yes, they... look forward to seeing what brings you back for show number twenty six on Broadway. Thanks so much, Nathan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Gordon. That was Nathan Lane, now starring on Broadway in Pictures from Home. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps. Or tell a friend about Stagecraft. Find past episodes and subscribe at all the pod purveyors, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. Until next episode, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. Thanks for listening, and see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.